0: I'm Darren Monday. As a leader of your company you must stay on top of your industry or risk obsolescence. This can be a daunting task, get ready to solve your biggest challenges and learn how to capitalize on your biggest opportunities. Executives depend on external advisors to fill knowledge and experience gaps. To help them make a case for change or to have an experienced mind challenge their thinking. Reciproco brings together a wide range of proven thought leaders from around the globe and makes them available to you. Get access to insights, advice and the tools you need to succeed. Learn more at reciproco.co.uk Welcome to the Strategic Risks Insight Podcast brought to you by Reciproco Group. I'm Darren Munday. In these podcasts I'll be speaking to a number of leaders from across the insurance ecosystem exploring the impact of digital transformation on the Chief Risk Officer role, and how will this influence the evolution of enterprise risk management in the insurance industry? Okay, today I'd like to welcome Sabine van der Linden, CEO of Startup Bootcamp Insuretech.
1: Thank you very much, Darren.
0: And so uh, we'd like to talk about development of technology in the insurance industry, and particularly around digital transformation and uh, how things are are changing. So first of all, I'd just like to ask you, can you define your your current role at Startup Bootcamp and uh, what sort of activities are you involved in?
1: Okay, so my role at Startup Bootcamp is uh, to uh, lead a number of initiatives, the main one being putting together accelerator programs where we welcome a number of startups every year to work with Our corporate partners. The way we work is that each of the programs we run are led by uh, a number of insurers who are investing in our initiatives and who want to solve very specific problems with the help of startups. So since 2015, uh, we've been running a number of accelerators here in the UK and in the USA, in Hartford, Connecticut, where there are many, many insurance companies as well. And we aim to work alongside specific uh, themes. So when you look at Startup Bootcamp, we will actually source startup based on the themes. So it's very, very much challenge, issue led type approach and um, this selection and sourcing of the startup will take what, four to five months and at the result of that for uh, our corporate partners we select a number of startups and then they enter what we call a, a, an acceleration program. Selection so program will last usually for three months. The startups have the opportunity to learn to adapt the business model to fit the needs of their potential customers being the insurers and at the end of the three months it would be a celebration to demonstrate how they have shifted, pivoted, refined their proposition, designed sustainable business models and done that in a very accelerated uh, time period.
0: Okay, so this is about working with mature startups, uh, also known as scale-ups, and being very focused on uh, the commercial strategic imperatives of the incumbents and working together in a co-creation Im- environment.
1: Correct. So, I mean, it's very important to understand the market as well as shifted. Uh, When we started this initiative in 2015, we were just doing what we call accelerators. As we uh, went into 2018, 2019, a lot of the organizations we've been working with uh, have now understood the value of working with young businesses, such as startups, and we shifted. Uh, our model into what we call co-creation labs where yes we will wake up welcome a number of scallops most nature startups to work with our corporate partners and solve very targeted problems and within a very short period of time be able to help them find opportunities for commercial piloting.
0: Okay that's great and you, you just finished there talking about commercial pilots so what, what would you say are the success factors that you see that transition uh, this relationship and this co-creation partnership between incumbents and uh, scale-ups into commercial pilots, what, what are the key things that make it a success or not?
1: So what would make a pilot a success first I would say is uh, for corporate to really know what problem they are trying to solve, which I would say therefore start with, with strategy. Um, often when an organisation uh, in the insurance sector starts with collaborating with startups, it's really starting with uh, a blank sheet of paper and trying to understand why in the first place they should collaborate with startups. So they don't always start from strategy. But after a few years having learned uh, around the, the benefits of involving young businesses to help them deliver and develop capabilities rather than building them uh, from scratch, uh, what you find is that one of key criteria of success would be okay, knowing what needs to be done based on looking at strategy, looking at where the market is going next few years working backward and saying okay we need to focus on the those three or four different challenges. From that, we can actually spend some time really working with the corporates to understand how they interpret the problem. And from that, then we can actually go and talk to uh, scale more mature ventures, to see how they could help a large enterprise solve those problems. So they need to be a match. They need to be a, an association between the problem and the solution like you would have in in, in any vendor solution relationship. But here what we are trying to do is look at emerging technologies, looking at the future of digital, uh, transformational digitalization. And then um, from that, then we start looking at how we can actually make sure that the startup or the scale-up is fully aligned in delivering a product which is successful, which means the startups need to have a solution which is being implemented in other organizations not with insurance companies um, they need to uh, have raised significant uh, amount of money um, that is always a requirement so that to uh, help with you know not the reliability but uh, sustainability that you know the startup is going to be there for a little bit of a while than just a short-term period there would be criteria around you know can we work with you so um the uh, fitness of the founders and the like—you uh, know whether we like each other, um, like any relationship. There would be also criteria around uh, looking at the corporate environment and the constraints within the corporate around environment around private security technology. Okay
0: and, that, and that's um, interesting that, that it sounds like there's a number of things that need to come together and, and align in order for that commercial pilot to be successful not just the startups um, fit for market and whether that's appropriate but also from the, the incumbents point of view as well whether they have the capacity to, to innovate internally and, um, and align that with the external market and their own strategic imperatives. So, can I just um, ask you um, where, where does the current competitive advantage come from, either yours or, or startups or even looking at it from a, an incumbent's point of view? Where do you see that the, the differentiators are perhaps in the marketplace?
1: I think from looking at it from an incumbent. It has to be around, you know, clarity of defining how they want to compete in the future. When we talk about digital um, transformation and actually about innovation, we are actually talking about new products and services which are going to satisfy the needs of new customer segments and, and new markets. So the incumbent need to be clear around what that means for them and uh, whether they have the time. Uh, scale, um, the ability to know that it's going to take a while before they refine their proposition and actually enter new market or new segments. I like using that example, Uber was not actually created in a year, it, it took six years for Uber to become a unicorn, number one unicorn and it will take any businesses a number of years for them to actually have a sizable market share of any new market they try to enter or segment. So I think from the incumbent viewpoint, it's clarity on that, but where we actually start helping them is speeding that process and um, ability to understand the problem means we can actually drive quality. There is a lot of um, you know, other proposition out there which would uh, emulate some of the work we are doing. Think when you look at our team, probably uh, over, um, my my team has probably over 100 years experience in insurance. Whilst okay, we are dealing with innovation and we are dealing with entrepreneurship. Really understanding the environment we are dealing with is important. It allows us to actually talk the same language and understand very quickly what we are trying to solve for. Um, then speed. Uh, once we understand the problem, you know we have access to thousands. Of databases uh, where we can actually start looking at how we can solve for the problem with very specific capabilities which are in tech but maybe not in techs so um, being able to translate that accurately is going to be very very important so I think that's a balance between the two when you look at the startup I think the startups for them to be successful is for them to be genuinely good listener Because if we look at tech, um, and tech startups wanting to enter insurance, they need to be um, clear that it's a hard industry, it's a relationship-based industry, it's a risk-averse industry, therefore it's going to take time. And um, it's an industry which requires people to really spend some time understanding the terminology.
0: Okay, that's great. You touched on a number of uh, interesting areas there around... Culture, around risk aversion and about the approach of, uh, of the startups themselves and also the, the time that it takes in order to be able to get traction in this particular industry which um, as we know and understand has historically been more risk adverse. But you also touched on Uber as well and I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the business models that uh, are beginning to, to gain traction whether they be in insurance or in other sectors. And I know that a lot of incumbents will be looking outside of their industry boundaries at other developments. Where do you see this sort of going for the, for, the, for the insurance industry? Is there any one particular business model that's beginning to gain more traction than others?
1: So when you look at where the insurance market is going, I think we need to show some alignment where, where fintech has been and is going. So fintech has had their ups and downs, but one key things which happened with banks is that their value chain got unbundled. And so when you start looking at insurance, they are going to go through the same patterns where when you look at their value chain, things are being broken down, bits by bits. And then when you start aligning that back to where the customer segments of the future are going, or who they are, means that they have to rebundle the things differently. So business models we are seeing emerging. You know, the gig economy is driving a lot of thinking around what I call the digital mutual. Where um, we are taking more care of people, customers, whether they are uh, consumers, uh, the millennials, the elderly people, or uh, customers, um, which would be, for example, the small and medium enterprises, which is a big topic now being uh, top of mind for a lot of insurers because they have very specific needs. Um, a lot of businesses have developed propositions for the M of SMEs and the S which is around really a lot of personalization, customization on demand. And so being able to develop a proposition which is far more mutually uh, sensitive, uh, where there's purpose around the needs of the customer, consumers within that environment is going to be important. So insurers are really analyzing gig economy, mutualization, personalization and how to provide a service which is not continuous but on demand when you need it. You also have another one, which I call uh, the embedded business model or embedded ecosystems, where you have to work with partners to succeed, and the relationship you have with a customer may not start with insurance. Is as an example, is travel.
0: So it's just reflecting on how the insurance industry has evolved over the last few years, and particularly. The position of um, incumbents. It wasn't long ago when uh, incumbents viewed startups as being disruptive and um, they were very concerned about their business models being disrupted. And I think now they're more in a, a cautiously optimistic position and they also see the opportunity to partner with startups and the opportunities for them to do so.
1: Absolutely. So when when you look at um, when Inshotech started in 2015, I remember reading articles saying that insurance is ripe for disruption. So a lot of the terminology was around disruptive activities, where investors would actually start investing in the like of uh, Oscar, uh, the time you had Zenefit, which received significant investment as well, and then got insurers to realise, God, something is happening. So in 2015, uh, 2.9 billion uh, were invested. 2.9 billion dollars were invested in uh, startups and um, that is where insurers realized we can't let that happen and not just do nothing around that and therefore there was this sense that they could be disrupted by startups however gradually because of the regulatory framework and uh, the constraints around insurance we realize it's not about disruption, it's about innovation and collaboration and ecosystem build where an insurance company can actually start looking at the future and start building the capabilities which would allow them to sustain. A living and uh, being still existent in the future. What we've seen actually that investment uh, in 2016, 2017 were okay, they were not the greatest, but last year 2018 was the largest year with over 5 billion investment after 2015. And a lot of this investment went into series A startups, so not the youngest one, there's 70% of startups not receiving investment yet but one third, 30%, are above Series A and represent the bulk of that investment. So today, $20 billion have been put into insurtech startups, the Oscar and the Uber and Airbnb of this world, called Lemonade or Trove, and others would be more around um, the enablers, those who can help large companies to readapt their business model to meet the needs of the customers of the future.
0: Okay, that's interesting. That, that, that's really uh, quite a, a step change in, in investment, particularly in the insurance side. I just wanted to just touch very briefly on the technologies that you see startups and scale-ups uh, using. We've heard lots about big data, distributed ledgers, blockchain, and artificial intelligence. What, what sort of technologies do you see startups using, or is it all of those?
1: Startups are using all the emerging technology. When we started in 2015, actually only 40% Used a disruptive technology, um, you know, most of them were using still old. I would say old traditional technologies, and quickly, you know, a lot of them learned to use uh, AI, blockchain, machine learning, um, and so a lot of the solutions we are seeing all have a bit of the emerging components. F- for what reason? So when you start looking at reinventing the customer engagement, a lot of the new artificial intelligence, machine learning capability, cognitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, intelligence allows automation of the process through RPA. You will find others focusing on uh, analytics, uh, the underwriting components and using external data sources combined with the internal data sources to improve underwriting and drive more precise um, claims uh, capability. And then you have the last bit, which is cognitive engagement, which would be the chatbot, the bots in general, uh, robo-coaches, robo-advisors, and um, these actually, uh, when you start combining them together, you start building predictive environments. And insurers who are all batting and working with the different set of technologies, 70% is still on the automation bed. So clearly
0: the role of the chief risk officer is um, changing and will continue to change.
1: When I look at the chief risk officer and working with quite a few departments within our incumbent uh, partners, um, often we see the department as uh, the the gatekeeper, uh, the one who try to identify the risks of an innovation coming into the business, what would be the impact on security, privacy, uh, whether that was going to impact regulation, and often seeing the chief risk officer as, you know, the internal regulator of uh, the large company. But at the same time, what we also find is the regulator, this, the FCA is actually quite open to innovation and created their own sandbox. Uh, amongst other initiatives to enable innovators to demonstrate their capabilities and bring them to market. So I wonder whether there is an opportunity for the Chief Risk Officer to find a little bit of time within their very very busy diary to, to see the value Of uh, innovation and what it can bring to their business to remain alive uh, for the years to come
0: so just like to spend a few minutes talking about technologies and how they can help chief risk officers and also particularly about the new and uh, unforeseen and interdependent types of risk that we might uh, foresee so uh, do you have some particular insights on that Sabine
1: I do think that um, when we look at big data, for instance, if we can actually help the chief risk officer get access to the right external data sources and combine that data with the internal data sources and produce really clever dashboards, they can actually get access um, to the minutes in real time to the data which allows them to make better decisions. And by doing that, maybe can they actually see the value of new technologies and how that can enable them to be more effective. You know, we can go into the the extreme blockchain, technically blockchain, when you put everything on the blockchain uh, and the distributed ledger, you should be able to drive trust and transparency and again allow Want to see clearly transaction when the risk is and actually make the right decision for the the business. So uh, another area potentially that chief risk officer need to analyze because companies like Citibank, for instance, have implemented the uh, the ledger approach uh, on the private uh, blockchain to allow them to do internal transactions and drive the transparency for the risk department um, in a a very neat way. So why not look at this approach um, in other industry, in particular in insurance, for instance.
0: Okay, and anything that would help the chief risk officer increase transparency around particular risk would be, would be fantastic, and also in a, in a real-time environment. So just one last question, if I may, and this is regarding, we've heard quite a lot in the press around algorithms automating and introducing inherent biases into product innovation, and whether that's going to become a problem for the industry, particularly for, for also for chief risk officers. Do you have any insights about um, being able to approach that and tackle that?
1: So, for me, biases are introduced um, because of lack of diversity in, in businesses. So, I would say the best way to tackle it is looking at the workforce and making sure that that workforce is uh, diverse and the policy are inclusive. Um, I love uh, one of the quotes from Brian Checke from Airbnb, um, which when he built Airbnb at the really start, um, he said that there were three white men building Airbnb and therefore not satisfying the needs of the majority of the market. Where you had the Hispanic and the Black, the Chinese wanting to also use Airbnb, but didn't find um, services which fitted them. Once they started becoming inclusive and uh, selecting a very diverse group of people to work with them, they were able to design algorithm which actually met the needs of the majority of the population and look after six I mean four to six years they also became an unicorn. So I would say start with the people. Once you actually start understanding your customer and actually align the people who are designing for the customer, um, reflecting the customer needs, and then designing algorithms which are I would say unbiased become probably easier.
0: Okay, and that's a that's a great lesson for all of us. And on that note I'd like to thank Sabine uh, Van der Linden, CEO of startup Insuretech, for a time today, and offering her uh, insights.
1: Thank you very much, Diane. <laughs>